1: Welcome once again to It Came From the Radio, the official Big Apple This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. Um, once again, I am in uh, virtually distance, all by myself, because we have another chock-full show full of segments and interviews. On this week's show, we have another J. Lee segment at the New York Comic Con. I, Mark, interview comic book creator Caden Phoenix. At the Tropicon, L-Man Danny Feldy interviews author, artist, and poet Joseph Munciuri, um, senior correspondent Troy Saladino, and... Uh Elman and Jenny Feldy have the Chambers of Hell wrap up talking about that. And finally, uh Dominic Definition Man uh interviews legendary comic uh, creator, pencil, anger writer, all that fun stuff, uh Jim Calafuri. But before we do any of that, we have to take it away with the news. It's more time. The news is brought to you in part. I the fine folks of sci Radio. That's Sci-Fi for your Wi-Fi. So the fine folks of the Big Apple Con, which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 26 years of comic book, and con- uh, pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. Their next convention is scheduled for December the 17th. It is the Big Apple Christmas Con, and the headliner is none other than Dante himself from Clerks, Brian O'Hallahan. also want to give out shout-outs for our Patreons, of which there are... Danny Grillo, award-winning director, Jared Burrell, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous, resin Media, Unjikun, Shadow Rabbit Art, and Ray, and Rosa. Want to have your own little shout-out? Go to our website, www.camefromreal.com. There's a little button up there. It goes right to our Patreon page. And just way, not if you get a shout-out on our show. We would greatly appreciate it. So as I mentioned, we're not going to have any news. Or maybe I didn't mention we're not going to have any news, but no news. So <laughs> with that, we're going to take our break, and we'll be right back with Came From the Radio.
2: Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at
3: hotmail.com.
0: My neural net processor is linked to sci-fi.radio. It's sci-fi for my Wi-Fi. The more I listen, the more I learn.
4: Now, back to our show.
5: Hey, this is Jay Bird and Lee, and today we have again our special guest, Riley. Hola! What's happening today, Riley?
4: Not much. We're going to talk about the Italian Job.
5: Yes, the movie The Italian Job, a movie that uh, came out many years ago, and Riley's first time seeing it. Yep. You know who it stars? Do you remember who's in it? Uh, Mark Wahlberg.
4: And the Australian guy.
5: Uh, he's British, Jason Statham, right? Did you like and Edward Norton?
4: Who are those guys?
5: The, the you think that he's a, uh, Australian, but he's British, the bold guy. Oh, he, yeah, oh, I thought
4: he was Australian.
5: Oh my gosh. So, what did you think of this movie? Well, first of all, do you know what it was about?
4: Yeah, about these people who try to steal gold and um. Then one of one of, one of them um, just takes all the gold, and they try to have a comeback and stuff. And they kill this old man who is the father of this girl. And then there are safe crackers.
6: You are
5: talking <laughs> about this in a whole weird way, yes. So basically, it's about a guy. It's about a crew of thieves who steal gold in Italy, in Venice, Italy, right? Mm-hmm. And they are double-crossed by one of their. One of their team members, yep. Ed Norton, spoiler, yep. and then they take revenge and try to get that uh, gold back, right? Yep. So what would you think of it? It was good. It was good? Yeah. That's all you have to say about it?
4: Yep. What was
5: your favorite part?
4: Uh, Probably looking at the gold.
5: Just looking at the gold? Yeah. What about those mini BMWs, the mini Coopers that they were driving?
4: I don't really care about that. I only care about looking at the gold. It looks so real.
5: Do you want gold? Yeah. Really? Yeah. How are you going to get gold? I don't know. You don't know? So no. did this inspire you to be a thief, to go steal gold, or are you going to earn gold the right way?
4: I don't know. I probably do both.
5: Get out of here. I don't think that's going to be a thing that you're going to do. Who knows? Oh, stop. All right. So what was your favorite part about the movie?
4: Um, probably... Who, who's that guy who... Who's, like, that main character and stuff? Mark?
5: Wahlberg? Charlie? Yeah,
4: yeah, Charlie, Charlie. Yeah. Like, I liked when he interviewed everybody.
5: What do you mean when he interviewed everybody?
4: Like, he's, like he said to the girl, um, what's it called? Uh, oh, Uh like, like, he said, like, where they're from and, like, what happened to them and stuff.
5: Oh, so you like the little clips of them, like, being introduced. Yeah. So when he's like, oh, this is Handsome Rob, and then he's stealing... He's driving a car and all this, uh, and speeding in the highway. And this guy, other guy, who's uh, Seth Green, I think his character, his name is, but he was like, um, he was the uh, the uh, inventor of Napster, a song sharing program, yeah. right? Oh boy! So did you like? The, so you liked the movie? You thought it was fine? Okay. Would you recommend it? Yeah. Y- yeah. That's all you have to say today nothing to say about the movie
4: well yeah i'd recommend it
5: okay well i'm glad that you'd recommend it but is it one of your top favorite films no never never what is your top fame film ever
4: godfather
5: one godfather one yeah. really yeah you know we're gonna do a whole show on godfather one yeah are you excited about that
4: yeah all right okay but what, about, what about godfather two and three
5: we will do a Godfather series, but right now we're talking about the Italian job, since you were yeah, to talk Godfather about it. Yeah, but Godfather
4: is part of Italian, so it makes sense to do it now. <laughs>
5: <laughs> we're not going to do it now, we'll do it for another show. And I think it's Godfather 1, 2, 3, yeah. okay, and then we're going to do Goodfellas? Yeah. So we're going to do that part of the series, and then I...
4: Shawshank, did we do that
5: I don't think we did talk about Shawshank, but that's not part of the Godfather series.
4: Yeah, then there's uh what's it called... Um,
5: what was that movie? I don't know What are you talking about? Mr. and Mrs. Smith Do you want to talk about that one too? No,
4: that's not a good movie well, it, is, it is a good movie But it's not what I would talk about
5: That's the one with Brad Pitt And yeah. their husband and wife And yeah, their yeah, spies Yeah, yeah, no You didn't like that one?
4: It, no, I liked it But I don't want to talk about it
5: Well, we're talking about it right now
4: Yeah, but I don't want to
5: talk about it Okay, fine So, did you like that movie? Would you recommend it? Yeah Okay, so, but it wasn't thrilling to you?
4: It was good, but it wasn't that great.
5: All right. Well. I like
4: Brad Pitt with his, with like a beard, like a goatee, and a long hair. I don't like him bald.
5: He wasn't bald. He just had short hair.
4: He didn't even have hair. He
5: didn't
4: even have it. He had short hair. It was, just,
5: it was just close to his head.
4: He didn't have much hair.
5: All right. Fine. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We're going to be going and look out for our Godfather series. All right. Stay, uh, Stay healthy. Stay connected.
0: Now back to our show.
2: Wrapping up Chambers of Hell, one of the best haunted house attractions in the world. And uh Charles Aldino, what do you have to say about Chambers of Hell?
6: I'm I'm telling you, it come down. It's well worth it. You have a bunch of um amazing actors and actresses, and they are the nicest people in the world until you get into <laughs> that room and then they just become psychotic. Um, it's. Uh, we want to thank Rob Frankenberg for his hospitality and inviting us down, and I just loved it. I thought, I thought they did a good job. I think that the public is going to be very happy with the the results of them getting the caca scared out of them by these people.
2: It's scary for those who like scary things, and it's also very beautiful. I'm very. I like beauty, and I like. What they've done with the paint jobs, I like the furniture, I like the props. It's very aesthetically pleasing. It's very easy to get here. It's easy to park. So you know, if you have friends or family, or you're taking your kids out, this is pretty much a low stress, almost no stress place to get to. And uh, yeah, super creative for people who are just into creative stuff. Um,
6: yeah. These people put in a hundred and ten percent. Come down, enjoy yourself again get the caca scared out of you and uh you're gonna love it you're gonna come back for more and Mm -hmm. um we had a great time here
2: oh and also not only is it a great event because people can do great events and do great work but then they can be kind of pieces of garbage as humans but there's not one person i would say is a piece of garbage here and i can't say that about every set or about every experience so everyone here good vibes and i said that within the first five minutes i said good vibes and i maintain that it's good vibes good energy people treat each other with kindness and they create a great product now look at that
6: yeah it's one big happy family here and don't forget kids um check out our facebook page because jen and i have taken a ton of pictures that we will be uh, posting soon. So uh, you'll get to see a little of what we're talking about.
2: And then you can possibly rent out this place and have photos just like we created. On that note, we'll see you later. And now back to more. It came from the radio.
0: Ever wanted to enter the world of comics but didn't know where to start? Worry not true, believers. We at the Comic Book School may just have the answer to your questions. Created by comics veteran Buddy Scalera, the Comic Book School is a free online educational resource that helps rising creators learn the craft and business of making comics through resources like forums, interviews, publication opportunities, publisher guidelines, and step-by-step blog posts. For more info, please visit our site at www.comicbookschool.com. Be sure to join our forums and follow us on social media while you're there. We'll see you on the message boards.
1: Now, back to our show. Welcome back to a Came From The Radio, your show of The Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. I am here live on tape at New York Comic Con with Caden uh, Phoenix, right?
7: Yes, absolutely. Hi, how's it going?
1: It is going quite well. Um, you reached out to me, and I thought it was a really cool idea, but a lot of the stuff that I saw on your website really said of what you are and where your background from and where you came from. What I want to know more about is about the story and the books because as I noticed on your website, looking through the titles of the books, each one has its own special story. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
7: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, they're all origin stories as of right now. So I have five characters, all original characters, or just stories of how they got their name and their powers, all different heritages, which is very important because it's a big Latina diaspora, right? And then they all come together in one book called a La Brava. So they form a team. Called a La Brava is the first Latina team in comic book history as well.
1: So why decide to make the first Latina comic book hero as opposed to just doing something else? They always say right what you know, but sometimes people don't live in outer space and they have tons of <laughs> outer space stories. So what was the idea behind that?
7: I just wanted representation. I wanted to see, honestly, and I still do, I want to see a Latino superhero on the big screen because I come from screenwriting, not necessarily from comic writing, but screenwriting, and I wrote out a feature-length screenplay of Haleigh School, which was the first one, and I wanted to make it into a feature film, and I still do. Uh, and so that's kind of where how it all started. It was just that. I didn't necessarily set out to be, I want to be the first Latina team, but a comic book historian told me that, like, by default, it became that, which is really nice. It's a great compliment and honor as well. But it's just words of representation. How come we're always, you know, narcos and maids and all these other, you know, very oppressive things? Like, why can't we be a superhero?
1: So each, but each of your books has a special theme to it as about, um, a, a, a hard underlying tone that was very serious. Where did you get those ideas from?
7: So they all have social injustices. Uh, so then, in a way, yes, absolutely serious, but that's because they're all grounded. They all happen to, two females and Latinos particularly, like, you know, Agruka is child traff is trafficking, right? Which happens to females. Nobody really cares about all the Puerto Rican stolen in Puerto Rico right after the hurricane. Nobody cares about MMIW. Nobody you know, it's that kind of thing. So like why not bring attention to it? Why not bring awareness to it? But in a superior story. Halesco is femicide, that's been going on since the seventies, and it's still going on. All of that in America, you know, for the people that do know about it. But for the newer audiences, it's like here's a story and a girl is getting saved, or girls, plural, are getting saved. And so it's something very important because like you can't how many times do you want to see Metropolis saved or Gotham saved over and over from all the little crazy villains? You know, it's entertainment, but it's fluff, but it doesn't move anything forward. What if you can save a girl because there's, you know, they're getting stolen because of ICE. ICE is running for mayor in the town. And like, that's an immigration issue, right? And it's, it's very important. And it's now, it's literally a current issue that we, you know, just as Latina community in the bigger sense, but we, as anyone oppressed, we have to deal with, we know about domestic violence, right? That's Mandita, my Dominican from New York. And it's still stuff like that, like, why can't we save a girl for once?
1: So how do you manage to keep with these very serious uh, things? That was what drew me to your your property, was that you had some really serious, important issues to discuss. But at the same time, how do you keep the balance to make it entertaining? Because you don't want to be preached to. That is the way you can turn off audiences in any way, shape, or form. How do you manage to maintain that balance?
7: Well, the balance is just, I'm telling a superhero story. I'm telling an origin story, and origin stories are always like, you connect to the heart of why, why am I following this character, right? The lead character. And it's the heart of it. It's one of them, like, the mom gets stolen, right? It's a reverse taken. Why wouldn't you root for this one girl that wants to save her mom? She inadvertently saves the girls from the femicide, but she literally starts off wanting to save her mom. Like, she doesn't care about being a superhero. Like, that's not, that doesn't exist in her world at all. And so it's just stuff like that. It's digestible stories that are actually, like grounded and plausible, right? Because the, the social justice is, you know, ground and plausible, but it's something that is redeemable and honorable. And so that's how I went about it.
1: Now, you said you were a screenwriter first, and so you wrote all the stories or just one story, and then you decided to turn it into a comic?
7: I wrote one story at a time, and so I wrote out the screenplay of Jalisco, and then that turned into a comic. I wrote the next screenplay out, and that turned into a comic, and so that's kind of the, the pattern that I had going.
1: So my follow-up question is, so when you writing the screenplay, you have a certain vision in mind of how the story looks. Did you have to change that at all for the different medium of the comic book, or was it the same visual idea in your head?
7: No, it's absolutely the same. I think it's really fun because in a way, it's still storytelling. And so when, I see, when I'm writing, I have to see it in my mind, like you're saying, which is true. And then I do the storyboards, the very, very rough, like stick figure, ugly storyboards for my artists. But like I'm also a director, so I know the sizes, the panel sizes. And so, you know, and right on the bottom, wide shot, you know, entering, you know, who the characters are, how big the dialogue boxes, is, et cetera, for the comic version. But, you know, it's the same idea. I'm still telling a story, whether it's moving pictures or it's stills, which is this comic book version.
1: So I guess uh, we're almost out of time. So you have a final thought and where can people find you on social media and buy the book and all that fun stuff?
7: Uh, well, thank you to New York Comic Con for having me. It's my very first time here, so I'm very appreciated. I'm just honestly really excited. There's so much great energy here already. And then you can buy my books at my website. It's latinasuperheroes.com. And that's the latinasuperheroes, plural. And then my Instagram is also latinasuperheroes. So
1: thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, nice meeting you and much success with your book. Thank you so much. And when it comes into a movie, you come back and you tell us all about it.
7: Deal. Absolutely.
1: This is Mark Toys. I came from Rado, signing off from New York Comic Con.
4: Hey guys, this is Christy from Custom Cakes by Christy. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm keeping my private kitchen open for any needs your family may have. I've been focusing on breads, soups, muffins, quiches, and other basics, but I'm still accepting dessert orders as well. Please follow my Facebook for immediate pickup items, private message me for custom orders. Custom Cakes by Christy, Inc. K R I S T Y. Text me at 631-606-8166. Now back to our show. You
2: know this is Elman, you're listening to a came from the radio. We're here with a friend of the show.
3: Uh, I was just born
2: during the pandemic so I we've never met. Uh, Butterfly Joe, Joseph Monastery and he wrote a book. It's a um, it's a quite large book. I can't even hold it. It's very heavy. Now right here let's see for a video.
3: and what is this book called this book is butterflies in space um, some of you may remember the old version of it which looked like this uh, so i did i took everyone's feedback and did a total revamp of it and so i added art inside of it um, brought the size down it's also now an nft and i also just made an audiobook and the really cool uh, which the audiobook has music in the background and the of, we have
2: music in the background too that's why i just took my mic right here well, I
3: mean, in the, uh, in the music in the background of audio audiobook yes I know I know
2: I'm uh, just saying our interview just got bombarded like-
3: it has a really ethereal sound to it which is pretty cool uh, but what, what's also really cool about my book is I'm in the process of animating it to turn into a 24 and a half minute special uh, and it's also going to space on NASA's Artemis 1 uh, yes which is launching on August 29th at 8.33 a.m. and I will also uh, be doing a virtual launch party for it uh, nice so I'm screening up for launch I'll be doing a full read of my there um, so, uh, Did you hear
2: So his book Is going to space Never heard of this before I asked how Before uh, USB
3: yeah, Is going so to a, be they have, a, they have a They have a USB drive On uh, That's going to be Home to kids Okay. Uh, on the official blanket, right? which is going to have has a bunch of people's names on it, it, has my name on it. It also has a link to a digital copy of my book, uh, which I also made my book free to read online. So if you go butterflies in space, you can actually you can you can, a, you can see a bunch of different links, um, and it's there to read. Um, you can also go to butterfliesinspace.net and bring you directly to the where you can read it for free.
2: Uh, how how did you get your book? to be in space? Uh, so there's
3: was a lot of emailing back and forth with NASA, okay. um, and so initially they said no to a physical copy, but they said okay. yes to a link to the digital version. Okay. So um, that was part of why I I'd also decided to make it free and open source so people could read it.
2: Uh, so where did you get the idea to put your book in space where you were just like kind of like, I'm done with humans on Earth, Let's market this to space. Let's.
3: Um, Well, I just, uh, with a name like Butterflies in Space, um, which Uh, drew a lot of inspiration from uh, space, I was like, what better thing than to send it to the moon? Right. Um, that makes and sense. Also, it's an NFT, and so in the NFT community and the cryptocurrency community and blockchain community, the big thing is that where they say is that, you know, things are going to go to the moon, things are going to go to the moon. Well, okay. I, of course, my, me entering the NFT space in the, of the, in the beginning of the bear market, so everything is down, nobody's buying, I can still say that during the bear market, mine went, my, my project still went to the moon.
2: Wait, quick question, because I'm not really NFT savvy, and I don't think any anyone on the show is, what, what do you mean people in the NFT community say that things are going to go to the
3: moon? What so does that going, mean? Going to the moon means that... successful it, Yeah, success. Okay. Uh, so so
2: NFTs aren't really going to the moon.
3: Well, no. I mean, they're not physically going to the moon. But they're
2: like, to the moon, Alice. Like, uh, let's be successful. Like, yes. shoot for the
3: stars. And what's really okay. cool about the NFT space is that it allows creators the ability to get residual income on secondary sales, which they wouldn't normally be able to get. Okay. Uh, which is part of what drew it to, uh, drew me to it. Uh, speaking of NFTs I just also spoke at NFT NYC um, and I also am expanding butterflies in space with a curated collection um, which is really awesome it's more it's a much more higher end collection but um, it's on Mint Gold Dust which is Dust.com and it's a butterfly space cover, and each piece, uh, so the eight pieces on there each piece was made using artificial intelligence and my writing and each piece is, has a I'm writing a story that coincides with each piece as well as a um, because each piece has its own story but they're all going to combine to create one larger story creating a butterfly space opera
2: Got it. so the space opera I asked you know I, I, I'm old and old people here. yo you're going to have an opera so I said oh, you're going to have dances. And he looked at me like I had seven heads, like, dances? God forbid you have dances at an opera. But then I found out it's an when NFT have- opera. So it's not actually going to happen at a real gallery. It's all going to be online?
3: Yeah, it's all online. Which you'd which
2: say it is real because it is online. Yes.
3: And so- it does have dancers. Like right here, there's a in this piece right here, there's a dancer ballet dancer
2: so it is real if it's online but if you can't touch it is it real and, and that's the question with someone like me who's 127 yes, years old is it real it's real it is real But because it used to be in my day if you can't touch it smell it taste it then it's not real See, that's where the world is going it's very interesting it,
3: it's definitely real because when you bring it up on your phone right. you're able to view it Right. right and right so you're yeah, it's just it's better, um know, yeah, as far as like I think I think that it's better than personally to be able to experiment. Um, with technology because we can either fight technology or we can dance with it and I'd much rather dance with the technology and integrate it into my heart and explore it and be one of the first to be early yes. than be late to the party. I'd like
2: to fornicate with technology not just dance with it we'll see if that makes it to the radio is FCC okay with the word fornicate we'll find out after this interview well thank you very much we're over our five minute mark any final thoughts where it came from the radio and where can we find you
3: uh, you can find me. You can find me in all my socials on but at www.butterfliesinspace. Uh, final thoughts: uh, Have fun, create art, be yourself, and be authentic. Right.
2: And uh, just another piece of the pie proof that if you can't come to one of my live shows and you can't be here right now, you can use the Internet and technology and be part of what we're all doing. So that's pretty cool. Connectology can bring us together. It's very interesting where the world is going. And thank you so much for this interview. Back to the studio, Mark.
6: Ruthie Patah, you had any honor... You would listen to Sci-Fi.Radio, the sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. Kapla!
4: Now, back to our show.
8: Hello and welcome again to It Came From The Radio. This is your co-host, Dominic Sperano, and with me is... Jim Calafiore. I always like to let the guests introduce themselves, so that way I am not at... Uh, at risk of mispronouncing their names
0: <laughs> which is usual with mine so
8: oh yeah well my last name of uh, Sperano has been destroyed ever since the Sopranos came out oh yeah I'm sure and uh, for reasons I have yet to figure out people throw in letters that don't belong there mm. I don't know why they throw it in it's like you're reading it you're you're reading it in front of you where, where are you why are you putting a D and a C in there <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea uh so for those who do not know jim has been a longtime penciler anchor writer in comic books some of the things that he has worked on as excalibur deadpool x-men unlimited batgirl aquaman basically you know his work whether you realize it or not you've read his work you've seen his art um so as I would like to start out with you, Jim, how did you get into comic books? How did you decide you want to be a penciler, inker, and, and and toil away at this craft for so many years? Well, it was something
0: I always wanted to do. I think uh, the vast majority of us in the industry, <clears throat> excuse me, that's how we uh, started out, reading comics, loving them, and wanting to do them for a living. Um, so I don't remember when I didn't want to, actually, mm. in some form or another. Um, I, uh, went to art school, uh, graduated from art school and, uh, was working at, um, advertising agencies, not with any sort of enthusiasm, trying to get into comics, doing samples, going to shows, seeing editors. That seems uh, to be
8: a common thing for people, uh, at one point, like they ended up working in ad agencies, still trying to break in. Well, it's always good to have something to fall back on. I mean, it was still at least
0: art-related. Right. Um, I wasn't waiting tables. Um, Yeah. So I was using my degree in some fashion. Yeah. Um,
8: I certainly felt that way when I got out of art school. Like, I'll do whatever. I just want to do it in the art world so I feel like I didn't waste my money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, comics was always my goal.
8: Very cool. And uh mm-hmm. my first job I
0: got in with a small independent publisher called Caliber Press. Mm-hmm. Um actually just through mailing in samples to an ad I saw in a in a rag at a comic shop. And uh free little rag they hand, they would hand out free little uh newspaper. And uh they l- liked my stuff and I did some work for them. I got paid almost nothing. Um The of course, the secret was that I would have paid them to publish me. Of course, you know, um, and Caliber Press was a really great place in the '80s. A lot of people came out of there. That's where the Crow started with Jim O'Barr. Guy Davis Mm -hmm. came out of there. Vince Locke came out of there. Brian Bendis started with some stuff there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike Lark, Phil Hester. There's a there's a big list of people who worked at uh, Caliber. Course, and then uh, somebody from Caliber moved into uh, working for Valiant. Okay, and I got in touch with him, and he got me an interview with Valiant. And
8: uh, I remember being a kid and, and reading Valiant, and and just being in awe of the art of Valiant.
0: Oh, I yeah. had enjoyed I had enjoyed them before I got in. Uh, yeah, I I had really liked uh, well the Jim Shooter. Uh, Barry Windsor Smith Solar
8: mm-hmm.
0: Man of the Atom story was just uh, great stuff. I was always a huge Barry Windsor Smith fan. Yeah, and uh, they gave me stuff to do. I started right away working on uh, X-O war, mm-hmm. moved on to uh, R- uh, Magnus Robot Fighter, and a few other things, and that mm-hmm. was sort of that was sort of my in. I was in at a place that was fortunately very popular at the time because of the uh, speculators. Yeah. And uh, sort of once you're in, you, uh, you, you kind of get to know people.
8: Yeah, I'd say it's easier to stay in than to get in. How do you feel?
0: Oh, yeah. Getting okay. in is very tough. But, I mean, staying in is tough, too. I mean, right. you got to do your work. You got to get your stuff done. You got to not
8: be an idiot or, yeah. you know,
0: piss off your writer or piss off your editor. You, right. You know, be a professional.
8: I think it was... I know it was at a Comic-Con panel. Probably one of the ones that Buddy Scalera would, would do at Near a Comic-Con. Oh, yeah. And, and I want to say inkers aren't inking because I was really interested in being an inker. Okay. Um, but it could have been any one of his. And I remember one of the professionals up there saying "You can, you need to be two out of three things. You could be really good and really fast. You could be really fast and really polite or you could be really polite and really good but not fast if you have one two of those three you can (laughs) stay in like they'll deal with you if you are a real pain but get the work in they would prefer of course if you're polite fast and good but right you know that that's one of the big keys if you can if you can at least keep open communication and be polite about what's going on in your life and where you are and you're hitting your deadline and your pages they'll work with you and help you. oh out. yeah
0: it's always been
8: uh, <clears throat> that's always what i say to people trying to get in mm-hmm. or
0: even people who've gotten jobs just be honest yeah. with the editor right i know plenty of people who would say yeah yeah they're done i already shipped them and they weren't even near to done right you know and you're lying to the editor yeah. Um, but to to be really good and not on time and stay in the industry you have to be really 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 good I yeah mean, Bart you know certain people have lived off being late right and it was just because they were super hot if you're not super hot yeah you really can't be late and no matter how polite you are after after a while an editors gonna right. get tired of you
8: yeah of course of course and it really comes down to doing the work you got to do this as your day job even if it's not your day job right trying to get a foothold or you just did and you want to advance you have to treat this like it's work and not your hobby and i think too many people trying to break in it's they can't get out of a hobby mode
0: right and they also have to make a living right (laughs) They're, they're worried about their other job Right. Um, but, you know, people trying to break in will spend a week on one page trying to make their samples look good. Right. Once you get a job, you got to do 20, 20 more pages a week uh, not a week. Sorry, a month. Yeah. Um, and you, you've got to get your speed there. I didn't ink myself for many years because my speed wasn't fast enough in my inking. Right. I would ink covers uh the odds the odd story here or there but it wasn't until i was working with gail simone on secret six that i went permanent
8: uh inking my own stuff do you prefer inking your own stuff or did you like having someone with a slightly different eye interpret your work and ink it differently
0: no i like inking my own stuff my stuff is very specific it's it's Mm -hmm. a little different it's very solid blacks and whites there's no hatching there's no cross hatching no. so it depends on line quality and i mean i've had some really good inkers over the course of my career but i still think when i'm inking myself it's mm-hmm. uh stronger now because i know what i'm doing i know what i, I know exactly what i mean when i'm putting down the pencil
8: and you know what you want so you, right you have, the only person to, to blame or credit if you don't get what you want is yourself right do you enjoy penciling more or inking it's all the same it's
0: all the same to you yeah there's no there's no difference between them it's all part of making the making the page making the illustration making the art I don't, I don't i don't really distinguish between them
8: no yeah for me i always felt that the inking i enjoy the inking the most that's why i wanted to be an inker because i love the Sort of refining and editing and really creating more of the page. I don't know how to. Well, it gives that. you.
0: It also it finishes the work. I mean, yeah, I, I know this when I'm penciling. Mm-hmm. When I go into the inking, I can see it. Obviously, more concretely, it now like, oh, now that's where that really works. I mean, I've been doing this for 32 years. Right. Um, I'm not saying I'm on autopilot, mm-hmm. but when I'm penciling, I'm laying down blacks and. Mm-hmm. very loosely. I'm laying down areas very loosely because I know what I'm where they go. I've been doing it long enough that, okay, this here, this here, this here, shade this face that way. But until I ink it, it doesn't, I don't know if it came together yet.
8: Right. So I suppose for me, it was always that part of the drawing where you get to see it not fully complete because there was usually still color or something, but really start coming together. That satisfaction that I would take in it. So that's what I was wondering. If like you you felt that when you're inking.
0: Yeah, in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But um, none of them, t- neither takes importance over the other. It's all part of the same thing. Once I've started inking myself, obviously.
8: Right, right. So it was just two sides of the same coin. And ultimately the happiest part is that it's done and finished. Right. <laughs> is there anything more satisfying from a, from like an art, penciling creating perspective as having that page done like it's finished um
0: having it work out well Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know how many artists there are who say that it's exactly what they saw in their head right um so if i get it as close as i can to it it being in my head Mm -hmm. um you know i do very complicated stuff also i put a lot of detail and a lot of little things and I'll, and I'll do, especially with inking, you know, or when I'm writing my own stuff, I don't pay attention. I don't think of me as the artist worrying about what I'm going to have to draw. Mm-hmm. And then once I get into it, I'm not worrying about the inker, me, who's going to have to ink all these little things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a certain satisfaction that when I get through a, a big, complicated piece, like that's done.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: But that that's so short-lived because the next page is sitting there. Right. Right. You just got to move on. I have a very, uh, I'm very, I'm both left and right brained.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm I'm very linear in my thinking, and I just, I just go through pages, page by page by page.
8: Mm-hmm. There's
0: no way to stop, really.
8: Mm-hmm. Just, just kind of, for lack of a better term, slogging through it just to keep going till you get to the end. Yeah. There's, yeah.
0: Especially when you're doing a regular book on on a deadline,
8: you, mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm.
0: no for either for worrying or patting yourself on the back either one
8: right and i'm looking just as you said you have a really detail-oriented style i'm looking at just page four of ned and i'm just staring at the the gore the blood the um the anguish on uh in like panel number four on on the face and the feathers and everything it is Mm. beautifully and hopefully people will get to see this at some point. Um, well, they can go to the Kickstarter, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just the composition of the pages. The and it starts out with such a beautiful pair of like angel wings, and then as you work your way down panel by panel, the it's still beautiful, but it's the beauties and how well you have done the gore and the blood and the anguish. <laughs> it is everything. a horror book. Yeah and it it's just it it goes to what you were saying of of being very particular and <clears throat> detail like this is no, I couldn't imagine for how I can draw to spend mm. the time to draw this so, right so I'm I'm very very impressed okay. um my pleasure um and it, it's just exquisite so how did you develop your style did a lot of it come from school or just trial and error over the past 30 some odd years
0: it was just over time Mm -hmm. um when i was in school i was uh, actually uh into a lot of cross-hatching i used to work with the rapidograph and cross cross cross-hatch like crazy Mm -hmm. um i do remember one instance where i didn't do that and i did solid blacks and whites on these figures at a funeral and the one teacher had made the comment that I should do that more. Mm-hmm. I didn't listen to her at the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really till I got out of uh, – uh, uh, started doing mainstream. Uh, a lot of my stuff at, at at Caliber still had hatching. I was still working with repitter mm-hmm. Um And even my samples back then were – whatever attempt I was doing for hatching to look like a Marvel book when I was doing mm-hmm. samples like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it just, it just developed naturally. I liked the, uh, I, it, it wasn't even conscious.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just, it, and at Valiant, they were having somebody ink me and Valiant had a very inker uh, uh, prioritized style. Oh, that's an interesting. Um, way to put because it. of well, it's it's how Bob Layton would uh, mm-hmm. look at uh, at artists who weren't too big, like that came in from the outside with their own style. Um, anchors were encouraged to interpret any way they wanted to um so i if you look at my stuff in valiant i look different from book to book mm. and i think what happened there so then i started doing breakdowns okay more not worrying about putting hatching in because it was going to be ignored anyway
8: mm-hmm.
0: um and i think that that might have been where it started to develop because i was doing this more even though i put in a ton of details and textures and little things it, it's a more simplified style um the shadows are black and the, the, you know there's there's no transition from the white to the black and i was just greeking all that in to mm-hmm. let the let the anchor do what he was going to do because i knew he was going to do whatever he wanted to do
8: <laughs> um at the yeah, time, a bit, did you were you frustrated with that or, or beyond
0: frustrated
8: <laughs> beyond frustrated of course
0: um, it's how do you develop a style if you don't have any style to develop? Right. In other words, you, I, 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 well, I mean, I hope I'm getting better every, every day now, back then I was learning. Right. And, and how do you learn what's working if it doesn't matter what you did worked or not, because it's not there in the final product. Right. If that makes any sense. So, I mean, basically I, I what I, the more I, more important thing I learned at Valiant mm-hmm. was my storytelling. I was developing mm-hmm. my way of telling a story and that's what I was really getting out of that experience. And, uh, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a super crazy storyteller. I'm not breaking the panels constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a lot of that stuff can start to get unclear in the storytelling. And I'm very, I try to be very clear in the storytelling.
8: Mm. I can see that in the work in, uh, in Ned. Do you, It's interesting as you look back on your career and you start thinking about it, and then you can really see where different points were development points for you. Like you're saying that Valiant, they signed you inkers and you just didn't like how they were inking your work. So that clearly informed you to later when you could ink your work to do it the way you wanted. But that time in Valiant, as you're saying, is what helped you hone your storytelling craft. And I I always find this interesting in my own life as well as other artists that I talk to that how you have this sort of journey that you don't know you're on at the time. I mean, obviously you kind of know because you're trying to make you know make it as a, in a as an artist and make a living out of it. But True. when you look back on it, it's like, oh, that was there for that reason. This was here for that reason. And I I developed that because of this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I just find the story of making the stories the story of the creation so fascinating to see how you've developed over time at this point at 30 years in where do you feel that you're still trying to develop
0: well like I said I think I still get better every time I mean mm-hmm. the the thing with comic book drawing isn't isn't like illustration right. you are not doing you're not working on one illustration for a week right uh or painting or whatever you you're not so it's it's really um rapid fire assembly line work you're 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 going fast one editor said once you know the the line was you you're never going to get it perfect because of the deadline you're going to have to let some things go you're going to say that's not working and you're going to have to let it go mm. but it's also on the repetition the repetition the repetition so you'll be working and you'll do this thing with a hand and you'll draw it a little differently and you'll get it right. Mm. And something that you didn't realize you weren't getting wrong, you were getting wrong or something that had been bothering you and tough for so long, you draw it a little differently for the 1000th time mm. and you'll get it right. And I still have that. Now I'll still be drawing something and I'll draw that. And I'm like,
8: Oh yeah, that works. Like that click, the mental click yeah. of like, aha.
0: That's the thing with comic books: the progression is the repetition. You're forced to draw over and over and over and over again,
8: Mm -hmm. and before you know it, you finally get that hand to look just the way you've been wanting to make it look for the past ten years or something.
0: Yeah, you don't even—it doesn't even click that it was wrong sometimes. Right. It's just all of a sudden that looks better. So, from Valiant,
8: where did you go to next?
0: Valiant, uh, first jobs out of Valiant was at uh, Marvel. I did -hmm. a little work on Force Works and uh, Valiant had uh, uh, made me somewhat of a tyrant with inkers (laughs) (laughs) and uh, ran into trouble right away. And I had a choice there. I could have said, yes, I'm just going to let inkers do what they want or I'm going to say no. Mm -hmm. And I said, no. (laughs) <laughs> um i want to got to find editors who want me to who like me to look like me and right. uh at that point i went over to dc and I'd been contacted to do some fill-in work on aquaman okay uh and i was still like still searching for my inker. um and the first issue we did the inker we didn't gel because that's a tough thing to gel yeah but the editor liked my stuff and he was not looking to impose anybody's look on me mm-hmm. anybody else's uh style on me and uh i think with the second fill in issue i did got teamed up with peter palmiati who was uh jimmy Palmiotti's younger brother yep and uh we clicked he at least understood what i was doing and was adding something to it and uh i had a, a long run on uh, aquaman with peter david
8: yeah yeah definitely I'm just looking at some of the Aquaman work he did. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Really beautiful stuff. And you got to work on him when he had like the the missing hand portion of his of his time.
0: Right, right. That was the <laughs> Peter David run. Um, yeah. It was funny because the editor called me to do the book and I said, Oh, cool, because I'd always liked Aquaman. Okay. And I made some comment about the orange and green costume. He goes, Well, he looks a little different now. I'm like, oh. <laughs>
8: Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: but I got used to him, and I got the regular Aquaman, the old uh, orange and green Aquaman back in there a couple times in various ways that Peter David brought in the old costume.
8: Yeah, yeah, very cool. Now, you were working with Peter mm-hmm. did you Have you ever gone, before you started working with him, did you get to meet him in person?
0: Yeah. Um, okay.
8: I, I, I think I, it's even, I'm the one who
0: suggested he ink me. Uh, okay. to the editor because um, uh, when I was working at Valiant Joe Casada and Jimmy were up there mm-hmm. doing uh, ninjack, I think it was
8: mm-hmm. I remember an uh,
0: and I think I, and my memory could be shot here but I think that's where I met Pete up there doing some stuff and uh,
8: mm-hmm.
0: I suggested the editor give him a shot inking me
8: I always find it interesting that you can have these Years, decades long uh collaborations with between pencilers and inkers and and colorists, and then you ask like, well, you know, how'd you guys meet? And like, we never met. <laughs> or you find out like, well, they live in San Diego and I live in Minnesota, and like, we've never met at a show or nothing. So a I, lot of times,
0: I, a lot of times, it's the editors put you yeah. together.
8: Yeah. So I was just curious, like, did you actually get to meet them? Oh yeah, not out of like I I got to meet Peter. No, but just like, did you get to actually meet someone you collaborated with? So it's cool that you did. Yeah. Um, how much actual interaction did you have with each other, though? Like in terms of uh, phone calls or anything like that to discuss it, or was it just it just gelled and you didn't?
0: No, there was there was discussions. I mean, but he he uh got me well enough right off the bat that there Mm -hmm. wasn't a lot of things Um, but we had some discussions back and forth
8: okay Um, I
0: can't I couldn't remember anything specific so there was nothing like I I said you know you're screwing this up do it differently Mm -hmm. you know it was it was more probably just you know little tweak things here and there
8: yeah so let's now talk about this new book that you have coming out Ned Lord of the Pit well, that's actually out. Oh, that's out already. I'm sorry. That's the saw... first
0: volume. I'm currently okay. working on the second volume.
8: Oh, okay. I saw the Kickstarter. So I assume that it was still ready to, you know, you're still getting it prepped. So no, working... they sit out there. They sit out. Uh, okay.
0: The, 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 the pages still sit out there. And I, I, I did it both at uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Made mm-hmm. much less at Indiegogo, but I threw it over there just so that anybody who didn't go to Kickstarter could get it. And also, kick Indiegogo pages tend to stay open as storefronts for a while.
8: Oh, okay. That's after, very smart. After
0: the, after the campaign is over, I then strip everything off, but the book itself, and mm-hmm. people can still go there. Uh, if they go to nedlordofthepit.com, mm-hmm. it'll redirect them to the Indiegogo page that's okay. open as a storefront. It should still be open as a storefront. You have to have activity on there like once every three months at least or something like that. Okay. And people can mm-hmm. order one, two uh either one or and one and two
8: still and you're still now you said you're working on two yes i'm working on two i'm behind on volume two <laughs> oh, don't tell I the am. editor
0: <laughs> yeah i know I, I i hide it from myself
8: yeah you ever call uh, yourself where are my pages and you're like oh, i'm working on them yeah yeah i should do that i should get a split personality it might work out better <laughs> um, you, you never know listen i'm
0: I'm trying to help <laughs> right yeah volume one was out uh 2021 okay it was actually printed and supposed to be shipped in 2020 but the there's the, a thing the, the, there's a thing yeah <laughs> there's uh, a was it a global thing <laughs> that might have been everybody might have been yeah actually it was before that Really? So it was, yeah. Um, it wasn't bad. Um, I don't remember how things fell up, fell down on that. Um, I remember the ink, the printer was backed up, and I didn't get them out till 2021. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was. It was not affected by supply chains at the time or anything. I know now is affected by the supply chains, but then yeah. it wasn't affected by supply chains or anything.
8: So tell me about ned how'd you come up with a concept what made you want to do now f- from looking at this you did everything in this book with the exception Except the of the letters yes yeah
0: yeah so, i used to write all my own stuff and when i was working at uh caliber press mm-hmm. once i got into the mainstreams i sort of fell into just being a, an artist and mm-hmm. uh i'd had some writing it was always, it seemed always tough to get the editors to go along with the writing desires uh i was supposed to write some stuff at valiant which ended up not happening because i left right i i i plotted a uh i plotted a uh magnus robot fighter issue mm-hmm. when i was at dc i i co-plotted some of uh uh aquaman uh when i moved over to marvel i wrote a couple issues of uh, Exiles with Nocturne's backstory because I created Nocturne Mm -hmm. uh, separately.
8: So For those who don't know, Nocturne is uh, the daughter of Scarlet Witch and Nightcrawler in a separate universe. From a different reality. Yeah, Yeah, from a different reality. Yeah. Um,
0: And uh, I uh, once I started doing Kickstarters Mm -hmm. Uh, I did an original Kickstarter called Leaving Megalopolis with Gail Simone. And I wrote a backup in that. That was all mine. Mm -hmm. And then I just said, you know, it's, let's see, I'm, I'm in my late fifties. Maybe it's time to just take, you know, stop doing other people's stuff. Um, And the, uh, the idea for the book was basically, I was just running things in my head of the worst person to be X. Mm. you know um and a guy named Ned should never be a lord of the pit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, right. it's 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 it, obviously from the title it's a supernatural comedy right um and a lot of times uh, uh, stories come from different places sometimes it's an idea of what a story's going to be and sometimes it's just a title right and it was just the title Um, And in the beginning of the book, he's not a Lord of the Pit at the time. He's just an average guy in New York, a struggling actor who one day walks out of his door and sees uh, a demon walking on the street. Right. Nobody else can see the demon, but he can. And the demon can see him and speaks with him. And uh, he's pretty sure he's got a brain tumor.
8: That's what he's decided until he comes yeah like like as a normal person think. like all right this isn't this isn't right that i'm talking to him. that something's wrong with me right yeah
0: and uh until he at least comes to find out that his family is connected to the dark side of things in ways he couldn't even begin to imagine um and so uh things get real after that he's got uh, a team of angels on his tail he ends up with uh couch potato demon who just wants to play his playstation sitting on his couch uh, and an annoying zombie roommate. Uh, and uh, he basically has to deal with trying to get out of this situation that he does not want to be in because he wants no part of. And that's what the, uh, the uh, first two volumes deal with. Um, the uh, volume one is the first half of the main, the large arc uh, which is completed in volume two, which I'm working on now.
8: Now, just out of curiosity, do you have a rough idea when you think you'll be done with volume two?
0: Hopefully before the end of the year, but I'm working on it. Okay. Lots
8: of things can happen. So we're we're running out of time, according to Zoom. They're letting me know this. Uh, okay. Let's do social media time. Where can everyone find your work? Where can they find your Kickstarters? Where, uh, where can they find everything and anything they want to know about you? Well, I have
0: a website, jimcalafiori.com. Mm-hmm. As long as they spell my last name correctly, they'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh I actually have been a little lax on updating it. I gotta, gotta get gotta, have to get to updating it. Uh on Instagram, I'm Jim underscore mm-hmm. The underscore is important between the two names. And then just on Facebook, I'm on you know, you can find me as Jim Califuri. Okay. Um if anybody's interested in checking out uh Ned, they can uh go to nedlordofthepit.com. That'll redirect them to the uh, Indiegogo storefront for volume two. Okay. Um, and it should still be available to order one and or two. Um, and if you uh, go to Kickstarter and put in Ned Lord of the Pit, if you want to see the video uh pitch might be a little harder to search on indiegogo i'm not sure but on either one kickstarter or indiegogo you can actually see the pages for volume one and the volume two campaign are both still up there's a video there there's a lot of uh little art and uh blurbs and descriptions about things
8: awesome so so cool I want to thank you for joining me today. I appreciate all your patience in getting to do this interview with me. No it, problem. It was a, it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing more of Ned when it comes out volume 2. Um thank you so much for your time. I really no, appreciate it. No problem. It. Good talking to you. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're going to take it back to Mark and the show. <laughs>
2: Hey, it's Marissa Jade, your favorite mob wife, and you're listening to It Came From the Radio.
1: (laughs) Now, back to our show. So that about does it for this week on It Came From the Radio. Join us right here any week on this radio station. If you miss any part of this show, tough, go to our newly revised website, www.itcamefromradio.com. The archives will be up in a week or so. Check us out on such places as btd.radio, sci-fi.radio, indievolt.com. Check us out on our places such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube page, Twitter.
2: And always follow the cost-benefit ratio. If the benefits outweigh the costs, do it. If the costs outweigh the benefits, don't do it. Or
1: just Google It Came From The Radio. And we'll see you next week. You've been
0: listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.